You're listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. Thank you for joining us. For more information about our church, simply go to cccsterling.org. Everybody, if you don't know me, my name's Chris Rhea. I'm, a te- I'm the teaching pastor here at Community Christian Church, and we're excited to start a brand new series called "How to Kill a Spider." You know what? People hate spiders. If you hate spiders, raise your hand in this place. People hate spiders. In fact, when you look up the top ten fears online, spiders is always in the top ten, and on some lists, it's as high as three right behind public speaking and death. So, I mean, people really don't, they really hate spiders. And they go to great lengths to kill spiders or to avoid spiders. Let me show you a little bit of what I'm talking about in a couple pictures. People don't like spiders, and they do anything to try to kill them. One time, Megan and I were leading a a group of students on a mission trip to Panama. And while we were there on the trip, we were in the Darien jungle, and it's full of bugs. I mean, it's just infested with bugs. And we're walking to our room the very first night, and Megan and I are kind of leading the way. Everyone's behind us. We're kind of checking out our surroundings, making sure everything's okay. When all of a sudden, right in front of us, jumps out the biggest, nastiest, red, furry spider. I mean, it had to be this big. Or maybe this big. But it was big. And I got to be honest, I froze a little bit when I saw the spider. But my wife, like a boss, she just reaches out and stomps this thing and squishes it. While doing that, she keeps a smile on her face, and no one behind us, none of the teens saw that. She, hey, come on, everyone, just kind of go to your room. Yeah, everything's good. Yeah, we checked it out. It's good. And as soon as everyone went by us, she looked at me and went, oh. We get into our room. Try sleeping there the next seven nights, knowing those things are right outside your door. Spiders can incite fear into your mind. But something else spiders do is they produce cobwebs. Spiders produce cobwebs. And cobwebs are very annoying. You ever watch someone walk through a cobweb? It's like, well, you know, they're they're trying to swat everything out of the way. But cobwebs can be very, very annoying as well. And we go through great lengths to clean all the cobwebs out of our homes, especially when companies coming over. We search the house. We're trying to get cobwebs. We're trying to clean them. And every home has cobwebs. But what's interesting to me is if we could find a way to kill all the spiders in our home, we'd never have to worry about the cobwebs, right? Spiders produce the cobwebs. But we spend the majority of our time cleaning cobwebs instead of trying to identify and find where the spiders are and get rid of them. 
And that's kind of the premise of this entire series. As human beings, we spend a lot of time trying to clean cobwebs out of our own personal lives. But we ignore the spider that's inside. And if we could kill the spider, we wouldn't have to worry about the cobwebs. This series is basically inspired by two things. My personal experience with spiders in my own life, but also it's based on a book by Carlos Whitaker called Kill the Spider. And Carlos Whitaker, he defines a spider as this. A spider is in agreement with a lie you believe. And a cobweb is any medicator that brings false comfort to that lie. So the spider is in agreement with a lie that we begin to believe, but the cobweb is the self-medicator. It's the behavior, it's the destructive behavior we turn to to medicate the pain of the spider because spiders produce pain in our souls. So the spider's deep beneath the surface and sometimes harder to figure out. But those cobwebs are the behaviors that you know about and maybe some people you love know about as well. And I've been preaching and teaching now for 17 years. And in 17 years, i got to tell you, the first 10 of those 17 years, the first decade of my preaching, I spent the majority of my time preaching and teaching on cobwebs. I spent the majority of my time preaching and teaching about how to avoid destructive behaviors in our lives. You see a destructive behavior, it creates baggage in the life of people, and Christians especially. And so what we want to do is we want to attack that behavior. We want to figure out how to end that behavior, how to stop the behavior. So what I would do is I'd preach sermons that had to do with, with, with stopping destructive behaviors. And then people would come to the altar and they would ask me for prayer. And they say, I have these destructive behaviors in my life. And so what we would do is we would set up this plan of accountability and we'd try to, we'd try to I'd talk one-on-one -on -one with them and we'd try to set up this plan and these boundaries and put all these boundaries in their life where they wouldn't have any more destructive behaviors or cobwebs. But what I found was it never was 100% successful. We saw some success from that. But the truth is, people continue to struggle with these sinful behaviors. They continue to struggle with these destructive behaviors in their lives. And they might get rid of one behavior, but another one would take its place. And so what I found was, we have to stop trying to just kill the cobwebs or clean the cobwebs, but we have to identify what is it that's causing us to do those behaviors. Why does a person have a destructive behavior in their life? Because they're there. Why are they there? And when we can get to the why and we can identify the spiders in our lives, we can actually get free from the things that bind us, the things that, that hold us down. And so that's the goal of these, this series, to identify the spiders in our lives and to get rid of them. So I want to tell you that anyone who's living or breathing most likely has some kind of spider in their life. Why is that? Because life happens. 
life, as we get older, there can be a lot of pain involved in our lives. And pain gives birth to lies. And if these lies go unchecked or undealt with, it can lead to destructive behaviors in our lives or extreme mental health problems like anxiety and depression and fear, which I'm going to talk a little bit more about next week. So now, when someone comes to me and they tell me they have a destructive behavior in their life, I try to look past the destructive behavior and not address it right away and try to find out why it is they are behaving this way. See, the behavior is just the symptom of a greater problem that's deep in our lives. So how are we going to kill these spiders? How do we identify them? Well, I think we, in order to identify and kill spiders, we have to realize how they're hatched, how they're born in our lives. So I want to give you six things that hatch spiders in our lives. Six things. The first one is this. Concealed pain. Concealed pain can hatch a spider in our lives. And what do I mean by concealed pain? Well, it might be something from your upbringing, something from your childhood, some kind of abuse, physical or verbal, something that has created pain in your life. It could be the loss of a loved one too soon. And that could create pain in your life. And I want to tell you something this morning, that even though time can heal and separate us from the trauma of events that happen in our life. They don't heal wounds. Time doesn't heal pain. It doesn't heal wounds. We have to address the pain in our lives. Because if we don't, what we end up doing is we shove this pain down. We just shove it down. Something happens that's traumatic. We shove it down. We, I'm too, I don't need to deal with that. I'm just going to worry about that later. And we shove it down. And what begins to happen is now we have this block in our heart between us and the Lord that's caused by pain. And because we have that block, we can't hear God's voice as much. We can't concentrate on what he's trying to show us or how he's trying to lead us or what he's trying to teach us. And we feel like something's wrong in our walk with the Lord. And that's what pain does. It produces a block, a glass ceiling, where you can't get to God. And it's not God. It's us not dealing with the spiders that are deep in our soul that need to get broken or killed so that we can have this fresh relationship with the Lord. So we got to identify what is that pain? Is there pain? Because sometimes with spiders, subconsciously, we don't even know they're there. Just like in our homes. I hate to tell you this. They're there. They're everywhere. And sometimes we don't even know it. But they are, because we see the cobwebs. And that's the same thing in our own lives. If you can identify a destructive behavior in your life, chances are there's a spider looming around somewhere that needs to be identified and killed. So concealed pain. Uh, another thing that causes a spider to be hatched is concealed sin. What do I mean by that? Something secretive or hidden in your life that no one knows about some kind of sinful behavior, that can lead to a spider in our life. Because anything secretive, anything that's in the darkness and not exposed to the light can create a space for the enemy to move in your life. and can create a space for a lie to be born, for us to make agreements with lies. And concealed sin and concealed pain kind of go hand in hand. 
They're cousins. Because when we're in pain, a lot of times we need something for the pain. And when it's emotional pain, we turn to substances, we turn to improper relationships, we turn to whatever we can to get out of pain. So concealed sin really gives birth to, or concealed pain really gives birth to concealed sin, and that creates spiders in our life. Another thing that hatches spiders in our life is fear. When we create what-if scenarios in our heads, things that probably will never happen, but they, we can't seem to get them out of our thought life. And because of fear and because of toxic thinking, our minds are consumed all the time with worry and stress from things that might never even happen, but because we've created those what-if scenarios. And when that happens, Lies are born in our minds. We start believing things that aren't even true, and we make an agreement with lies, and it leads to spiders. Guilt and shame is the fourth thing that can lead to spiders in our life. Guilt and shame, once again, they're similar but different. Guilt is when I can't get over a mistake that I made. I can't get over it. I made this mistake. There's consequences from it. I just can't seem to get over it. Shame is because I made a mistake, I'm an idiot. I'm a loser. I am a mistake. And I can't ever become anything else because of my mistakes. I'm the sum of my mistakes. That's shame and that's guilt. And those lies create spiders in our lives. The next thing that creates spiders in our lives is unforgiveness. When we hold on to bitterness or animosity towards another person instead of choosing to forgive them, it ends up really hurting us. It takes a toll on our soul. We might not even realize how much bitterness and animosity we're harboring in our souls, but it's there, and it can create some big, nasty, red, hairy spiders in our lives. The last thing that can hatch spiders in our lives is life disappointments. Life disappointments. When we thought life should go one way, but it's not going that way, we begin to believe lies, and that creates spiders. When we think we should be married by now, but we're not. When we think we should have a career we love by now, but we don't. When we think we should have a better marriage by now, but we, we don't. When we think our kids should be serving the Lord, but they're not. All of these life scenarios. When we think our parents should still be here with us and they're no longer with us anymore. All of these scenarios create lies, and we begin to attach ourselves to them. So these six things that hatch spiders, what they do is they lead us to an unbelief. And the unbelief is this. We start believing that maybe God doesn't really love us as much as we're told. Maybe God isn't as good as we always thought. Maybe God isn't going to come through for me. Maybe God's not even there. 
Maybe everything I believed is a sham. And maybe he's not even there with me. Maybe he never was. We begin to attach ourselves to these lies about who we are in God. And when we do that, spiders are born. And that's when we begin to have emotional pain. That's when destructive behaviors begin to occur. So we've got to figure out how to crush those spiders and those lies in our lives. I want to look at a passage of Scripture found in Psalm 13. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to it. Psalm 13. This psalm is written by a guy named David. Now, if you grew up in church, everybody knows David. If you're here today and you've never been in church, let me give you a little bit backstory on David. David was a man after God's own heart. In fact, one day God said to Samuel, I want, to, I want you to go anoint a king, but here's what I'm going to tell you. Is I don't look at the things man looks at. I don't look at their height or their appearance. I look at the heart. And I want David to be king. So out of everyone on the face of the entire planet, God chooses David to be the king of his people. David, this guy, he's going to be the king of my people. That's a pretty cool calling if you think about it. So David's this amazing guy. He's called by God. He's got a heart for God. And then on top of that, we all know the story of David and Goliath. This Goliath, this giant, is taunting God's people in battle. And all the Israelite army is afraid of this giant. And David comes on the scene and he takes, he's this little guy, and he takes you know, his slingshot and he slings it at Goliath. And he hits him in the head, and he kills this giant. And he becomes this national hero in this moment. And everything is starting to look up for David. He's got national recognition. The king was impressed. The king, King Saul, invites David to be part of his palace. He's eating at royal dinners. He's eating the best food, drinking the best wine. He's sitting there. He's living this life that is amazing, and he knows that God has a plan for him someday to be king. Life is amazing. It's good. Everyone's starting to look at David as this man of God, the next leader. Well, then something happens. King Saul begins to get jealous of David. He gets jealous of this young rising star that has the hand of God on his life. And so he begins to put plans together to kill David. In fact, he tries himself to kill David. And then when that doesn't work, David runs away. He has to leave his home. He has to leave his comfort, everything he knows, and he runs. And King Saul pursues him with an army of people. That's how much King Saul hated David and wanted him dead. And most scholars believe that Saul pursued David for seven years. Seven years. David's on the run. Can you imagine what he's thinking? He went from living in the palace. He went from this amazing favor of God on his life. All these good things promised to him. All these blessings in his life. To now he's living in caves. Trying to hide. Trying not to, he's running for his life. He's got stress, anxiety, worry, depression. He's fighting all these emotional battles. 
What happened? And this is what he writes in Psalms 13. It's during this time. He cries out to God, and this is what he says. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? This guy is he's tormented right now in the mind. He's going through huge emotional pain. How long will my enemy triumph over me? He starts posing these questions. He's kind of saying to God, God, where are you? What happened? You called me? You said out of everyone on the planet, you want me? Was that a lie? Did, did Samuel hear wrong? Are you, were you not really there? Then I, I slay Goliath. You, I, your hand was on me. I know it was you. I couldn't have done it on my own. I, I know it was you. But now I, I'm, I'm being pursued. I'm worried I'm going to die. Where are you? How long is this going to last? And I'm going to tell you right now, if you're in this place and you're a human being, you've probably asked those same questions. I know I have. You might be in this place right now and life has just been giving you one devastating blow after the next. You don't think you could handle one more thing, but they just keep coming. And you're saying, how long? God, don't you have a plan? <laughs> Doesn't your word say you have a plan to prosper me and give me hope for a bright future? Doesn't your word say if you train up a child in the way should they go, when they're old, they won't depart from you? God, how long? Am I going to have to watch my loved ones suffer? How long am I going to have to watch people I care about make a mess out of their lives? How long, God? How long? Are you, can you hear me? Are you there? Did I do something wrong? What did I do wrong that, took, that your hand is off of me now? That's what David was walking through. And that's what we sometimes walk through. And the reason these lies, and trust me, those are all lies. But they feel true when we're going through painful circumstances. But what those lies do and what the spiders in our life do is they create this distance between us and God. And they create destructive behaviors in our lives. So how do we identify those, that agreement with the lies that we made? How do we identify the spiders? And how do we get rid of them? Well, it's a process. If you see this next slide here, what I want to show you is something is this. A lot of times in life, we look right here at our behaviors. You see a destructive behavior. You see someone acting out. And we immediately try to correct the behavior. But what I want to tell you is in order to really kill a destructive behavior or kill the spider that's leading to the destructive behavior, we have to focus on these four things that are before the behavior. The first one being identity. The second, beliefs. 
the third mindsets, the fourth environments. Those four things lead to the behaviors. And so for the next few weeks, what I want to do is I want to talk about the things that lead to the destructive behaviors so we can identify them and kill them. Today, the rest of the day today, I'm going to talk about identity. Next week, I'm going to talk about minds, uh, beliefs and mindsets. And then the third week, we're going to talk about environments and behaviors. But identity is the foundation of who we are. Basically, identity is who we are at our core. And so when your identity is attacked, when a lie against your identity, who you are, who you are in God, what God says about you, what you think about God, when that's attacked, when our worldview is attacked, the foundation begins to crumble. So we have to protect that identity. The first step is to remember, we have to remember something. That our identity is not found in random chance. Our identity is not found in our own strength. Our identity is not found in our own beliefs about ourselves. Our identity is not found in what someone else thinks about us or says to us. Our identity is found in who God says we are. I can't tell you how many people start believing lies about who they are because some random comment by someone they think is important said to them. Random comment that maybe this person didn't even put any thought in and set off the top of their heads can destroy our identity, can make us to believe lies that aren't even true about ourselves. And to make us think that we're not who God says we are. But we are who God says we are. So I want to give you three truths that kill the spiders in our lives. Three truths. The first one is this. You are unconditionally loved by the Father. You are unconditionally loved by the the Father. I read you that passage in Psalms by David where he's asking God, where are you? And what I love about David is he never just leaves it there. If you read the Psalms, sometimes, a lot of times, the first part of the Psalm is kind of David going, my soul's in pain. Where are you, God? But the second half, this is what he says in Psalms verse five, Psalm 13, 5. He says, but I trust in your unfailing love. But I trust in your unfailing love. All these things are going on in my life. All of these circumstances seem overwhelming, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for He has been good to me. God loves us. It's the first thing we forget when we're going through pain. We ha it's the foundation of everything. For God so loved the world that He gave His Son. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He demonstrated His love for us. While we were still sinners, He died for us. His love has to be the foundation of everything in our lives. We have to believe that God fiercely loves us. 
that He's behind us, that He's for us. That's the first thing we have to know. The second thing, second truth that kills spiders is this. God is with you. He has good things in store for your future. That leads to trust. He has good things in store for your future. We have to believe that God is good. And I'm going to tell you, sometimes subconsciously, like on the outside, well, of course God is good. Of course, that's why I'm here. That's what I believe. But sometimes subconsciously, we stop believing that God is good or that He has good things for us. We start to believe that we're on our own here. And that if it is to be, it's up to me. And i got to make it happen. And we get self-reliant and we forget that there's a God out there who loves us unconditionally and has plans to prosper us and give us a great hope and a future. So I want to just remind you this morning that God is good. And I want to give you two reasons why God is good. Number one, God is good because he put breath in our lungs. He gave us life. God said, let there be light, there was light. He spoke us into existence. And the Bible says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made by the creator of the world. He knit us together in our mother's womb. He knows every hair on our head. And he breathed life into us. And you're sitting here today because God breathed life into you. He breathed life into you. He's good because of that. But if that wasn't enough, he didn't stop there. God created this creation called mankind. And he wants us to serve him and to love him. He loves us unconditionally. And he thought, hey, my creation will love me back. But guess what? We didn't. We chose to turn our backs on God. We chose sin over God. We chose to live outside of God's will and outside of His promises. But God is good because He didn't wipe us off the face of the planet because of that. He did something about it. He sent His Son to this earth. He, met his, he sent His Son who was in heaven, he made him subject to his own creation and he watched that creation torment his very son. Not believe in him, torment him, put him on a cross and kill him in the most horrific way possible. And he watched all of that and went through all of that agony and all of that pain because he's good. Because he wanted a relationship with us. And that was the only way to make it possible is to end sin once and for all, to end the punishment of sin, to end the separation of sin in this world between us and God. He did it on the cross. And he said, if you will just simply believe that and put your faith in me, you will have eternal life, everlasting life. He's good because we don't have to fear things that other people fear. Fear of death is number two of all the fears in the world. We don't have to fear it 
because we have an eternity with God waiting for us. He's good because of that. And like David did in the song, we have to, even in the tough situations, even when life gets hard, even when it gets messy, even when the storms come, we've got to remember the good things that God has done. The good things that we have in our lives that He has provided. He's good because of those things. We have to remember that. The last thing I want to tell you, the last truth is that you're not an orphan. He's not abandoned you. He's for you. You're not an orphan. He's not abandoned you. He's for you. In the book of John, chapter 8, Jesus himself, he's talking to some people. And he's trying to teach the Jewish people who are following the Mosaic law, following the Old Covenant, have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, their forefathers, all these belief systems. He's teaching them. He's trying to tell you, listen, you're not really understanding who I am. I'm the Messiah, and I know you get that, and I know I don't, I don't look and think, you don't think that I am sometimes, you don't think that this is what the Messiah should look like, but this is, this is who I am. And he's trying to convince people that he is the Son of God, that he was sent from God to be the Savior of the world, that he's the Messiah. But the problem was, they were so used to their religious customs They were so used to the Mosaic law. They were so used to the old covenant, they couldn't see who Jesus really was. And this is what he says to them. In John 8, 31, he says, To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you're my disciples. Then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Listen to this. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the Son, capital S, Son, sets you free, you're free indeed. But listen to this. I know that you're Abraham's descendants, yet you're looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. No room for my word. I want to tell you, sometimes we get so hung up on things in the old covenant or things in our mind, ideas that we have about religion that we cannot see who Jesus really is in our lives and the depth that he has set us free from, that we are no longer slaves to sin. We don't no longer under the old covenant or the old law, but we're under a new covenant of grace and freedom and identity as sons and daughters, royalty, Jesus said, a son has a permanent place in the family. That's what Jesus did when he came to this earth. 
We're no longer slaves to sin. We're slaves to righteousness. We are the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus if we believe in Him. So we are sons and we are daughters of the living God. We are not abandoned. He has not forgotten about us. You don't forget about your sons. You don't forget about your daughters. They're always on your heart. They're always on your mind. And that's our father. He hasn't forgotten about us. He hasn't abandoned us. You know, David had to learn some things in those seven years of running that were painful, that made him a great king. David went on to become a great king. But maybe he wouldn't have. If he couldn't relate or identify with feeling alone, feeling emotional pain, feeling stress, feeling worry, running from his life, maybe all of that was preparing him for the amazing and prosperous future that God had for David. Maybe that's why. And maybe right now you're in pain, and I don't believe God caused it, but maybe you will learn some lessons through your pain, through your trial, through your storm that you could not have learned any other way. Your compassion will go up. Your love for God will increase. If you let it, you'll be able to kill and identify these spiders in your life and squash them and live free the rest of your life. That's what God wants for you. Who the sun sets free is free indeed. We should be walking in freedom because we are children of God, co-heirs with Jesus Christ, full of the Holy Spirit. We should be walking in freedom and in victory. That's what God wants for us. Jesus paid the price so we wouldn't have to. Jesus bought our freedom and it came at a big price. He purchased it for us. Why? Because God doesn't care? Because God's abandoned you? No. Because he loves you. And he looks at you as a son and as a daughter. We're not alone. So I really believe when I was praying about this message that the Lord was revealing to me that a lot of people have believed lies about him and about their identity, who they are in God. And these lies have kind of rocked the foundation of everything they believe. And these lies have created spiders in their life that lead to destructive behaviors and lead to pain. And so I want to share a story with you this morning in closing, right before we take communion, we're going to take it right after this story. But I want to share this story. It's a fictional story, but I want you to listen to these words. You can follow along behind me. There will be pictures as I read this story. The Wemmicks were small wooden people. All of the wooden people were carved by a woodworker named Eli, whose workshop sat on a hill overlooking their village. Each Wemmick was different. Some had big noses, others had large eyes. Some were tall and others were short. Some wore hats, others wore coats. But all were made by Eli. And all day, every day, the Wemmicks did the same thing. 
They gave each other stickers. Each Wemmick had a box of golden stickers, golden star stickers and a box of gray dot stickers. Up and down the streets and all over the city, the Wemmick spent their days sticking stars or dots on one another. The pretty ones with smooth wood and fine paint always got stars. But if the wood was rough or the paint chipped, the Wemmicks gave dots. The talented ones got stars too. Some could lift big sticks high above their heads or jump over tall boxes. Others knew big words or could sing pretty songs. And everyone gave them stars. Some Wemmicks had stars all over them. And every time they got a star, it made them feel so good. It made them want to do something else and get another star. Others, though, weren't as talented. They only got dots. Punchinello was one of these. He tried to jump high like the others, but he always fell. And when he fell, the others would gather around him and give him dots. Sometimes when he fell, his wood got scratched so the people would give him more dots. Then when he would try to explain why he fell, he would say something silly and the Wemmicks would give him more dots. After a while, he had so many dots, he didn't want to go outside. He was afraid he would do something dumb and people would give him yet another dot. Punchinello had so many great dots that some people would come up and give him another dot for no reason at all. He deserves lots of dots, the wooden people would agree. He's not a good wooden person. After a while, Punchinello believed them. I'm not a good Wemmick, he would say. One day he met a Wemmick who was unlike any he'd ever seen before. She had no dots or stars. She was just wooden. Her name was Lucia. It wasn't that people didn't try to give her stickers. It's just that the stickers didn't stick. Some of the Wemmicks admired Lucia for having no dots, so they would run up and give her a star, but it would fall off. Others would look down on her for having no star, so they would give her a dot, but it wouldn't stay either. That's the way I want to be, thought Punchinello. I don't want any more marks. So he asked the stickerless Wemmick how she did it. It's easy, Lucia replied. Every day I go see Eli. Eli? Yes, Eli, the woodcarver. I sit in the workshop with him. Why? Well, why don't you find out for yourself? Go up the hill. He's there. And with that, Lucia turned and skipped away. But will he want to see me? Punchinello cried out. Later at home, Punchinello, he sat near a window and watched the wooden people as they scurried around giving each other stars and dots. It's not right, he muttered to himself, and he decided to go see Eli. He walked up the narrow path to the top of the hill and stepped into Eli's big shop. His wooden eyes widened at the sight of everything. The stool was as tall as he was. He had to stretch on his tiptoes to see the top of the workbench. A hammer was as long as his arm. Punchinello swallowed hard. I'm not staying here. And he turned to leave. Then he heard his name. Punchinello. The voice was deep and strong. Punchinello stopped. Punchinello, how good to see you. Come and let me have a look at you. Punchinello turned slowly and looked at the large bearded craftsman. You know my name? The little Wemmick asked. Of course I do. 
I made you. Eli stooped down, picked him up, and set him on the bench. Hmm. The maker spoke softly as he looked at the gray dots. Looks like you've been given some bad marks. I didn't mean to, Eli. I really tried hard. Oh, you don't have to defend yourself to me, child. I don't care what the other women think. You don't? No. And you shouldn't either. Who are they to give you stars or dots? They're wimmicks just like you. What they think doesn't matter, Punchinello. All that matters is what I think. And I think you're pretty special. Punchinello laughed. Me? Special? Why? I can't walk fast. I can't jump. My paint is peeling. I'm ugly. What do I matter to you? Eli looked at Punchinello, put his hands on those small wooden shoulders and spoke very slowly. Because you're mine. That's why you matter to me. Punchinello had never had anyone look at him like this, much less his maker. He didn't know what to say. Every day, I've been hoping you'd come, Eli explained. Well, I came because I met someone who has no marks, said Punchinello. I know. She told me about you. Why don't the stickers stay on her? The maker spoke softly. Because she decided that what I think is more important than what they think. You see, the stickers only stick if you let them. What? The stickers only stick if they matter to you. The more you trust my love, the less you care about their stickers. I'm not sure I understand. Eli smiled. You will, but it'll take time. You've got a lot of marks. For now, just come see me every day and let me remind you how much I care. Eli lifted Punchinello off the bench and set him on the ground. Remember, Eli said as the wind walked out the door, you are special because I made you and I don't make mistakes. Punchinello didn't stop, but in his heart he thought, I think he really means it. And when he did, a dot fell to the ground. This is a children's story written by Max Lucado, designed to help children understand from a young age who they are in God's sight. But sometimes as we get older, we need to go back and relearn who we are in God, how he feels about us, what he thinks about us, the things that he has in store for us. He doesn't care. about stars and dots. He doesn't rate you by this. His love isn't dependent upon this or this. We run around giving people these. We pass judgment on people and we put these on them. We see someone do something really good and we give them one of these. These make us feel good, and these make us feel terrible. And these destroy our identity in God and make us believe lies. 
we attach ourselves to these statements. We attach ourselves to this and we forget who we are and whose we are. But here's the good news. These, they don't exist because we have this. We're about to take communion. And in this cup, you can pull it out. This cup sets us free from gold stars and black dots. This stuff, this this cup tells us you couldn't do it. You couldn't get enough gold stars. And you won't be punished enough for your black dots. You couldn't do it, so I did it. In this cup is the love, unconditional love of God, your Father. In this cup is freedom from spiders. This cup was designed to crush the enemy, to crush the lies, to crush the spiders, to bring hope and freedom into our lives. And all we got to do is receive it this morning. So I want to take communion this morning. Then we're going to sing this song, We Are the Sons and We Are the Daughters of God. And I want to sing it differently today. Go ahead and take the bread. When you take this cup, I'm believing that those lies will begin to be identified. That those pain, that pain that's deep and buried would be identified and dealt with. I'm believing in healing in the cup this morning. And I'm also believing that during this message or during this song, the Lord's going to reveal to you some of those lies and what they are. And here's the thing. I'd love to sit here and tell you we're going to take communion. All of a sudden, you're not going to deal with spiders and they're all going to be gone. That's not the truth. The truth is this series is designed for three weeks to identify these lies and begin to deal with them one at a time. And here's the good thing. You don't have to kill the spider. Jesus already killed the spider. We just have to be set free from that and believe that truth. Let's take the cup. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Be sure to go to cccsterling.org slash media or searching CCC Sterling on the App Store for more messages from Community Christian Church.